0: With him. And then uh, as we got to 2 John last week, we found out that he was dealing with uh, encouraging the believers not to fellowship uh, with false teachers and to be very careful about even wishing them Godspeed or, or uh, uh, wishing them uh, that uh, their way would prosper as they went on their way. And we don't, uh, I think it was Brother Rich asked me last week uh, about the Godspeed. Uh, mindset of that, and uh, we don't use that phrase or that term much anymore, but uh, it was just something that was used to express that we were wishing for God's blessings on them as they went about their their journey and their work, and uh, for false teachers, we should not do that. We shouldn't wish for God's blessing on them, and uh, you say, well, boy, that sounds kind of harsh, but why would we wish for God to bless the untruth that they're spreading? And it doesn't mean we have to be unkind to them, but we don't have to receive them in either. And uh, we spent some time a few weeks ago on Wednesday night dealing with how to, how we are to treat uh, those that are false teachers and false that uh, are false um, uh, that teach false doctrine. And um, so we're not going to reteach that again. But uh, after a few admonitions, and they continue to do it, the Bible tells us that we're to turn them out. And... Uh, we shouldn't have any fellowship with that. The third, uh, John, that we're dealing with here, the third letter that John writes uh, that we have in Scripture uh, is encouraging the fellowship of believers, one with another, and um, very important uh, book, I believe, and, and it's interesting how you kind of see the progression that John uses as he writes these letters. More than likely, he wrote all three of these letters rather, rather close together. There wasn't a lot of time ...that expired between these. Um, most people believe that he wrote them from Ephesus, because towards the end of his life, that's kind of where he was at and was dealing with uh, serving the Lord in that area. Uh, but uh, there is there are two characters we're going to be looking at today. One of them is named Gaius, and one of them is named Diotrephes. And um, uh, Gaius is and it, it, it's written to to Gaius personally. This is a personal letter... Uh, whereas the others were written to the brethren or those that were uh, the children of the elect lady. And uh, let's look in verse number 1 as we see how he greets Gaius. Um, he says the elder, and again he refers to himself this way several times in Scripture, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And what we're going to find here is a contrast between uh, a man that is doctrinally sound and loves the Lord and is following the Lord, has a heart for the Lord, and has a heart for the brethren. And that's going to be what John really commends him for. And then we're going to see as he condemns Diotrephes as we get to verse number nine. So the the letter can be divided basically into two halves, uh, verses one to eight, dealing with um, his greeting and commendation uh, of Gaius, and then the condemnation of Diotrephes. So let's look a little bit at this uh, guy named Gaius. There are actually three others that are mentioned in Scripture. Uh, in Acts chapter number 19, there's a Gaius that is referred to as a traveling companion to the Apostle Paul. And then in Acts chapter 20, and verse number 4, there's a Gaius that was in the city of Derby. And then there's one in 1 uh, Corinthians um, that is in the church at Corinth and is one of the ones, one of the few, that the Apostle Paul baptized. By the way, Let me just stop for a moment. I'm not going to give you a whole lesson on this, but um, there's a strong doctrine that's moving around, uh, and and it's put out by some other denominations, that in order to be saved, you have to be uh, saved and baptized. And there's a lot of that going around today, saying you have to be baptized in order to be saved. The Bible does not teach that. We get baptized as a first step of obedience after we are saved. Uh, it's something that we do to express uh, outwardly and to give testimony to the fact that we have trusted Christ as our Savior. We've died to the old nature. We've buried ourselves with that and that we're rising to walk in newness of life. And that's what that represents. Um, and so very important that we understand this because there's a lot of this going around and it's becoming more and more prevalent even in um, a lot of um, more conservative, more not necessarily in Baptist churches, but in a lot more conservative and mostly doctrinally sound churches, they're starting to move to this direction of baptismal regeneration, which is what they call it, um, that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. (coughs) But uh, it's very important that we understand the order that God gives in this. Um, And so um, if anybody comes to you and says they have to be baptized in order to be saved, Uh, There are several instances where obviously that is not the case uh, in Scripture. Um, Paul, who was responsible for leading many people to Christ and starting churches and planting churches and was a missionary, did not put the emphasis on baptism. In fact, he thanked God that he had baptized very few of them um, because of some issues that had arisen. But he was very strong about people trusting Christ as their Savior. (coughs) And then there are also certain passages of Scripture that are written to show men how to be saved. And if baptism was a required part of salvation, then God would have included it in every instance. And he does not do so. There are certain passages of Scripture written for the purpose of sharing how someone is to be saved, and no mention of baptism is made. And so don't get, don't get mixed up on that, all right? I didn't mean to teach on that a lo- a real lengthy or anything, but I do want to help some people because I think sometimes you can get a little mixed up on that, all right? So don't, don't let that throw you in. And uh, maybe one day soon here on a Wednesday night we'll uh, do, a, do a, a lesson just on the subject of baptism and make sure everybody understands and knows all that that uh, entails. So there are three other gaiuses that are mentioned. And uh, he's, of course, none of these. This Gaius that John is speaking of here uh, more than likely lives in Asia, probably somewhere near Ephesus or in the church around that area um, and uh, where John could send letters to them. Um, As we get down into the letter, there's going to be something that John commends Gaius for. And I want you to see what it is as we get to verse 2. He says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health and even as thy soul... Prospereth, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Now, I think that's a key statement here. <coughs> Excuse me. Gaius certainly knew his Bible. He knew truth. He knew doctrine. And one of the things that John rejoices in and gives thanks for is the fact that Gaius is one who uh, had the truth. The Bible says that Um, the truth that is in thee, and and speaking of the fact that he had knowledge of the truth. But I think something that's very important, and we saw this last week also in in 2 John, that he made mention of this. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, uh, I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou, and look at these next four words, what are they? Walkest in just truth, the truth. There's only one, and that's the truth that God gives to us. Uh, truth is not subject for interpretation. Truth is not meaning one thing for me and something completely different for you. Truth is truth. And John expresses this in Second John. He expresses it here again in Third John. He makes reference to the fact that not only should we know this truth, but that we should walk in it. And one of the things that he rejoices in... With Gaius is the fact that he doesn't just know the truth. In fact, we're going to see in a few moments that that Diotrephes knows the truth. In fact, he was he was one of the ones that was a leader in the church. He was one that you know John refers to him as one that loved to have the preeminence in the church. He was he was up in in the area of influence in the church and knew the truth. The problem was he wasn't walking in it. And I, I think that serves as a warning to us. That it is possible for us to have right doctrine, to be in the right kind of church, and have the right kind of fellowship and friends, and to have a relationship with the Lord, and still not walk in the truth. It's got to be applied. And so I, I, I think that's worth noting here, because John makes two mentions of it, both in Second John and now again here in Third John. And he says this, he says, I have no greater joy, verse 4, I have no greater joy, that's a statement, I have no greater joy, this is a tremendous amount of joy that John has on this, than to hear that my children, and here's the phrase again, walk in truth. Notice he doesn't say know the truth. It is important that we know it, because you certainly can't walk in it if you don't know it. But I think so many times, especially in the day we live, That there are a lot of Christians who know the truth, but they don't walk in it. And I think it ought to be the prayer of our hearts. Every time we come to church, every time we come to God's Word, every time we spend time with Him in prayer, to say, Lord, if you will show me your truth, my commitment to you is, I will walk in it. I will walk in it. John and, and Paul and Peter, over and over and over again throughout Scripture, uh, emphasized the importance of walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Not just knowing. James speaks about a man who, uh, who uh, reads in the perfect law of liberty and he sees what manner of man he is and he goes away and he doesn't let that do anything to him. It doesn't affect his actions. He said he's like a man who beholds his natural face in a glass and straightway goes and forgets what manner of man he is. And John emphasizes it here as well. I think it's a very important truth here. In a short letter, very important truth. He says this, verse number 5, Beloved, thou doest faithfully. And by the way, anything we do for the Lord, we ought to do faithfully. Amen? Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest, notice this, to the brethren and to strangers. Now, he's not talking here about somebody who comes in the doors of the church necessarily that, that this guy just doesn't know, he's just some guy that just arbitrarily comes by, um, although it certainly would fit that group as well. But you got to understand, in the early church, there was a lot of times they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have internet, they didn't have uh, even telegrams. And so for churches to communicate, the uh, the bishops, the, the pastors, would often, and of course a lot of these pastors at this point, of course not in John's time here because he's the oldest one in, Most of them had already died by now. But a lot of the early churches, the apostles were the pastors. And um, so they would write letters. And they would send them by way of someone to that church or to several churches. And how that church received them, uh, they were referred to as strangers. They They were folks that would travel and come into their midst. They weren't part of that fellowship of that church. And so while it certainly would include... Um, strangers, obviously, that would come in the way we think of strangers. Specifically, I believe John's speaking here, and the reason I say that is because we're going to see in the context here in just a few moments. I think he's speaking more specifically to the fact that uh, the folks that we send to you, uh, folks that will come from other churches bringing news or bringing uh, reports from other churches. And so he talks about this, and uh, he says, uh, verse number 6, "...which have borne witness of thy charity..." before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. And so uh, Gaius is known for his charity before the church. He's known for uh, bringing these folks that are traveling, uh, bringing them along on their journey, helping them, whether it be their financial needs. Maybe he housed them. Maybe he fed them while they were there and probably all of the above or some of the above. But that was what he was noted for, his hospitality, his his fellowship with the brethren. Uh, his encouragement to the brethren. And uh, there, there are a number of people in Scripture. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were very much like this. Uh, they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints and the idea of trying to uh, be a help to people. And uh, notice uh, in verse number 6, it says, "Which have born. So he's talking about these brethren and these strangers, which have borne witness. And it speaks to Gaius' testimony. And again, we've talked before on the importance of testimony. Now in verse 7, he says this, Because that for his name's sake they went forth, speaking of uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, and by the way, this is the only reference to Christ in this particular letter, and he's not specifically the name, but he's saying that they are doing this for the cause of Christ, and uh, everything we do ought to be for that reason. He says, Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles... We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers, notice this, to the what? Truth. When we have traveling preachers, we have missionaries that come through our church, when we help them along their journey, whatever it be, whether we give them housing, whether we feed them, whether we give them some money to help them along the way, we become part of the truth that they are teaching and preaching and propagating. We become fellow helpers in that. The uh, Bible's very clear about that, that we get to have a part. We get to take part in that. And many times, we're not able to go ourselves. There's some, uh, Maybe God hasn't led us to do that. Maybe there are some family uh, responsibilities, maybe some job responsibilities that would hinder us from doing those things, but we can still help them uh, by helping them along. And so this is what Gaius is noted for. He's a godly man. He knows the truth. He walks in the truth, and he's... He's generous. He's charitable to those that come in that are traveling and tries to help them along their way. And as such, John refers to him as a fellow helper to the truth. What a great testimony. I think that would be a wonderful thing at the end of our lives. I don't, know, I don't know if they put epitaphs on tombstones much anymore. I know they put names and dates. and Not too many people put a whole lot of writing on it much anymore. But wouldn't that be a wonderful one to put on your tombstone, a fellow helper of the truth? I think that would be a great testimony. I really do. As we get to verse number 9, John switches gears. Now he's going to make the contrast here. I want you to notice he says this, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So Diotrephes, there's another letter that John has written to them. And it could have been either first or second John, or it could have been another letter that we don't have in Scripture that he could have written to them. And, uh, but they apparently he wrote a letter that gave some instruction to the church, and Diotrephes rejects it. And verse number 9, it says, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, received us not. Understand the fact that he's... He's one who has tasted of a level of influence in the church because the Bible, John speaks of this fact that he loves to have that preeminence. He loves to be that, that level tier. Now, I don't know how high uh, Diotrephes is uh, in the church as far as his influence, but obviously has some sort of influence in the church and seeks to have as much as he can possibly have in the church. Uh And again, I'm not going to teach a lesson here on pride and humility. But I like what John said when he said, He must increase and I must decrease. The Apostle Paul instructed the church, uh, I think it was in Corinth, not to think of themselves more highly than they ought. Folks, we're sinners saved by the grace of God. If there is any merit to us, it's because of what God's grace has done in our lives. If there is any any blessing, if there's anything that's good that comes out of our life, it's because of God's grace through us. And uh, but but Diotrephes, he loves to have this preeminence. He loves to, he loves this level of uh, achievement. And I think I think he feels threatened by John and, and his letters uh, that he's maybe going to lose this influence. That the church is going to follow John and not him. Uh, and, and again, John is almost always in his letter saying, I hope to come see you soon. And again, Diotropy is probably thinking, boy, I, I better establish myself strong here so that they don't all follow John when he comes. Uh, why? Because he loved to have the preeminence. He liked to be the top guy. He liked to be the one in authority. Uh, verse 10, he says, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, uh, pratting against us with malicious words. And so <coughs> Excuse me. A pretty stark contrast, isn't it? Here you have Gaius, who is charitable, hospitable. He's helping people along the way. He's receiving instruction of John. He knows the truth, he's walking in the truth. And then you have Diotrephes, who is a leader in the church and he's he's a um, Pratting against uh, John with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren. And not only this, but Diotrephes is wrong for this. He's not receiving the brethren himself. But he goes a step further. It's bad enough when you and I are wrong in our position. But when we insist others to be wrong with us, that's even worse. Notice what he says here. What John says about it, he says he forbiddeth them. Uh, he says neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. So again, you say, well, Pastor, how do you know that Diotrephes had a leadership role in the church because he had the authority to cast them out, he had the authority to get them to leave the church? So this isn't just. Some troublemaker in the church. This is one of the leaders of the church. He knows He knows what is right. He knows the truth. He knows doctrine. Now notice what it says here, verse number 12. I'm sorry, verse number 11. He says, Beloved, follow not that which is what? Wait a minute. Here's Diotrephes. He's preeminent in the church. He's in a leadership position. He has authority to cast them out of the church. He knows his truth. And yet John refers to his deeds as evil. Is it possible to be right in so many ways and still be evil? Yes, it is. We've got to be careful of this. The Bible says in verse number 11, Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. And, of course, he's referencing here Diotrephes and Gaius and their examples. The, The acts, the works of Diotrephes, evil works. The behavior of Gaius, his heart, that's good. Follow after that. He that doeth good is of God. But he that doeth evil hath not, notice this, seen God. Hold your place here a minute. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. And I, we read this the other night uh, on Wednesday night, but I want everybody to see this. I, I think a, a, a tremendous passage that deals with this topic. Verse number 5, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in who? Verse number five, Jeremiah chapter seventeen five. Blessed or cursed, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in who? Man. And maketh what? His arm. Maketh flesh his arm. So he's trusting in himself. He's trusting in his own strength. And whose heart, notice this, does what? Departeth from the Lord. You can look at Diatrophes. And say he is an absolutely perfect example of what is being described in Jeremiah chapter seventeen, verse five. Now notice what it says about verse this this first man in verse number six. For he shall be the like the heath in the desert, and shall not what's the next word? See when good cometh. He's blind. Do you mean it's possible to be elevated in the church to know your truth, to be well-liked, to have people look up to you and say, well, that's, that's one of the leaders, one of the pillars of the church. And still be blind? It's possible. It is possible. For he shall be like a heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabit The contrast is the blessed man in verse number 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be like as a tree, (coughs) not a little heath bush, not a little shrub bush. He's going to be like a tree, planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not, what's the next word here? See, this person is blind too. What makes the difference? What makes the difference is what they're blind to. One of them cannot see when the heat cometh, The bad things that come in life, he doesn't see that. He just keeps his eyes on the Lord. Why? Because that's where his hope is. That's where his strength is. The other one, he can't see when the good comes. Why? Because he's trusting in his own flesh. Now, if you go back to 3 John, notice that Diotrephes fits this mold pretty well, doesn't he? He's trusting in himself. He's rejecting God. His heart departs from the Lord. He knows his doctrine, but he's not willing to listen to what John had written. He refuses it. He rejects it. The Bible says, but he that doeth evil hath not what? Seen God. Now, that doesn't mean he's not saved. It just means that he, sees, he knows truth, but he doesn't see God. He's not following after what God has for him. Jeremiah called that person a what kind of person? A cursed man. Notice he says here in verse 12, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I will shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends, salute thee. Greet thy friends by name uh, greet the friends by name. I wrote down here a few notes about He rejected a previous letter from John's Apostleship. He was a leader in the church, had good doctrine, but was blind to God. I think there was a passage of Scripture, in fact, I know there's a passage of Scripture, that Paul wrote, warning about those that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. There are those that can put on outwardly a garment, of Christianity. But they're rotten on the inside. And it is possible to do that in the church. Diotropes is one of these. He pratted against them, going around spreading things. I like what Miss Kim said, uh, where I asked those three questions Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? If it doesn't meet those three, then don't say it. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Why? Because otherwise we're going around pratting. We're spreading malicious words. You say, well, yeah, but it's true, Pastor. Well, is it necessary to spread it? Is it necessary to go out and broadcast it to everybody else? I mean, the Bible does say if a brother be overtaken in a fault, you with your spiritual go on Facebook and post it everywhere, right? Or what does it say? You with your spiritual what? Restore such a one in a spirit of what? Meekness. You don't broadcast it, you don't go bratting it around. You try to help them. He was not content, he did not receive the brethren. And he forbade others to do so. And if they did, he cast them out of the church. Diotrephes was doing that which was evil. He was blind to God. Gaius was doing that which was good. And the Bible said he was of God. He was doing what God's work was needed to be. Then John commends Demetrius. Demetrius is the one who delivered the letter. Um, I think I've got most all of the notes here. Uh, it was written around 90 AD. I think I might have already mentioned that to you. Um, the theme of this uh, of this book is enjoying fellowship with the brethren. Enjoying fellowship with the brethren. The key verse is verse number 11. Beloved follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Anybody want to guess at what the key chapter is? It's the same one we had last week. There's only one. Okay. All right, I hope that'll help. It's a small small letter, but there's an awful lot of meat into it. It's a very vibrant, vivid book that has a lot of truth in it and a lot of little nuggets in there that'll be a help to you. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed and be ready to go here in about 15 to 16 minutes. <coughs> Father, we thank you once again for your word. Bless, I pray, and the teaching of it. And Lord, engrave it in our hearts. May we not just know your truth, Father, and may we live it. Help us. Give us the strength.